Welcome to Hub & Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub & Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year to you all. It's Tuesday, January 3rd. I'm Chris Lenton. Today, we're very lucky to have one of the main experts on Latin America and Latin American energy here with us on the podcast. Dr. Francisco Monaldi is the fellow in Latin American energy policy and the director of the Latin America Energy Program at the Center for Energy Studies at Rice University's Baker Institute for Public Policy a fellow at the Center for the United States and Mexico, and a lecturer in energy economics at Rice University. Francisco, welcome. Thank you for inviting me, Chris. It's great to have you, as always. We've just had a very eventful 2022 that completely upended energy markets. So I wanted to start by getting your take on, on sort of some of the major energy themes that you see for this upcoming year in 2023, with a particular eye towards Latin America. Sure. So as you uh, said, this has been a, a very momentous year and we were coming from a, a few <laughs> really momentous years because of the, of the pandemic before, then the massive recovery of oil prices in 2021, then, of course, the invasion of, of Ukraine. And, you know, one, one I think, uh, issue that we should focus on is the fact that international oil companies do not have that many opportunities in other areas to substitute the barrels that they are not get, not, not going to be getting from uh, Russia. And the geopolitical considerations that they have in, in other areas of the world make Latin America in relative terms. And, you know, in, in, in oil and gas, you always have to think uh, about risk in, in, in relative terms, a much better option than, than, than in the past. So I think that as long as we have some degree of, of tension between the Western countries and Russia, we will probably see an increasing interest in, in Latin America. Of course, also, it, this is combined with the fact that Latin America has been, compared to the past, relatively open for business and compared to even other regions like, like the Middle East, uh, which, of course, is geologically more attractive than Latin America, but it doesn't offer that many opportunities for foreign investors and, of course, has all, all other types of geopolitical risk in some, in some of the countries. So, so that's one, one factor that I think is important. Of course, the other one is the challenge that this has created for the energy transition and, and the strategies that companies might have related to the energy transition and all the ESG movement that not only influences what happens to IOCs and private companies, but also to the, uh, particularly to the companies, national companies that are listed in the market, like Petrobras or Ecopetrol, and even to some like Femex that are clearly not listed, but have some debt in the markets and therefore have to pay some attention to what investors are interested in. Uh, so, so I think th- those will be two of the of the important trends, of course, with these high prices, you know, the cash flow of, of the companies uh, operating in the region is is uh, is much better than it was uh, before. And and but the the other issue is uh, energy subsidies. So most countries are not allowing international prices in their domestic markets. 
Yeah. Well, sticking sticking to the the theme of of oil, do you see any Latin American countries supplying some of those barrels to the global market that that Russia is no longer supplying? Well, you know, there are clearly two countries that were in a great trajectory in terms of production and are going to be incentivized even more to uh, continue growing, which are of, co- are, of course, Brazil and Guyana. The price signal there is not necessarily changing that much because plans were already ongoing, but without a doubt, it, it strengthens and, and provides cash flow uh, for investments to happen quicker and and the market being there also makes it attractive. Then you have, of course, the question marks of uh, Venezuela and, and to some extent Argentina, which are countries that do want to increase production and do want to attract the investment, but face, in the case of Venezuela, of course, all the difficulties related to politics and sanctions. And in the case of Argentina, the, the issues with uh, macro policy. Other than that, I think we can expect the, the region actually to to have a decline in, in production. A decline in production. Well, going back to, to Brazil very very briefly, Lula was just uh, sworn in as the new president. He named a new uh, head of, of Petrobras. Do you, do you see any significant changes in the, in the energy sector in Brazil? Well, with, without that, investors are, are concerned and, and uh, you know, all observers are concerned about Lula I, I compared to the trajectory that during the Temer and Bolsonaro administration, the oil sector and Petrobras had, because Lula in the past, even though he didn't uh, forcefully renegotiate contracts like other uh, Latin American presidents did during the first decade of, of this century, Lula did uh, make some changes that hurt the development of the of the oil sector and has signaled that some of these policies are coming back, like subsidizing domestic transport fuel prices and, and now, uh, you know, more focus on, on biofuels and, and renewables and, and investing in, in refineries. Having said that, I think within the the Lula camp, Mr. Prates, the, the, the new head of uh, Petrobras, is a, a relatively sensible guy that will, within the, the, the Lula PT framework, be a moderated and pragmatic voice. So I am concerned in terms of the, the, you know, not, not the policies that Bolsonaro implemented, which were, I think, very effective for the, for the oil sector regarding focusing mostly on pre-salt and, and getting rid of other assets that were less profitable, I don't think are going to be pursued with the same focus. But I do think that on the other side, the administration will have a better goodwill from the world in terms of climate change policies and the pragmatism could prevail in, in the main issues. Yeah. Well, speaking of a similar situation, but going back a few years, when López Obrador in Mexico was sworn in as, as, as president, there was a lot of concern from the energy sector, and a lot of those concerns have, have played out. He's followed through on almost everything that he said that, that he would do in terms of the energy sector. How do you see the Mexico's oil and gas sector in, in 2023? Do you see any changes? What are the big themes in Mexico for you? Yeah, well, uh, as you point out, in, in contrast to uh, to Lula, López Obrador, even though he, he has not canceled the existing contract, he has clearly put a, a reverse on all the energy reforms of the previous uh, administration and really hurt the prospects of any private investment in, in, in Mexico for the foreseeable future. 
And so I think this is a big blow for the for the energy sector. I mean, we know that he has, you know, in common with with Lula, both want to give the, the the national company a prominent role. But in the case of Lopez Obrador, he's not being pragmatic to allow also private investment to complement what the national company is doing. And of course, to start with, Petrobras is a much better run uh, company than, than Pemex has uh, ever been and has capacities that Pemex does not have. So I think the, the energy sector, I mean, both oil and gas in, in, in Mexico are uh, in trouble. Uh, they are, of course, facing a situation in which the cash flow has uh, improved for Pemex, but Mexico is a, a country that is a net importer, a massive net importer of hydrocarbons, if you include the, the gas side. And, and even in liquids, they have a negative balance of payment. So it's not the same Mexico uh, of the past. And even though production has at, at least stabilized and, and, or, or slightly increased, I don't think the prospects are good. I think uh, the company will continue to be in trouble for the foreseeable future with a heavy debt and the, the private sector will not be able to fulfill the, the, the increases in production that, that Pemex is not going to bring about. Yeah. Well, one of the major themes in Mexico right now is the prospect of of LNG exports, which, sound, which sounds a bit a bit strange considering it imports the majority of the, its natural gas, but it's basically going to re-export U.S. gas outside of Mexico. And there are a number of projects, as many as five or six projects planned. What's your perspective on on these LNG projects? Do you, you know, do you see them happening? Is it a, is it a, a positive development for Mexico's natural gas industry? I think, uh, you know, it, it, from an uh, economic perspective, it, it does make uh, sense because of the difficulties in exporting some of the gas through the U.S. Mexico offers some convenient outlet for LNG. However, the changes in energy policy and the threat to uh, private property rights that has characterized the Lopez Obrador administration, I think is a, is a big concern because when you make a, an investment of this nature, which is, you know, very significant, some costs in a country in which uh, property rights are not well respected, you know, the risks are are significant. And even though the opportunity today is clearly tremendous because of what we're seeing in markets, in global markets of LNG, you have to take into consideration these long-term risks. I think maybe some of these projects will fly because of the the, the very fa- favorable market situation. But I think the potential that is there is not going to be uh, fulfilled because of the risks. Yeah. Well, let, let's jump around the region a little bit and sticking to a similar theme, Argentina, Vaca Muerta, they're developing a pipeline uh, from Vaca Muerta to Buenos Aires, which with you know the potential to perhaps develop an export facility as well. What's, what's your opinion on how Vaca Muerta is developing and do you see further growth there leading potentially to LNG exports? Yeah, well, you know, Vaca Muerta seemed to be, I mean, people joked that it was uh, a dead cow, really, when the prices went down in, in 2020 and because of, uh, you know, the lack of uh, a clear long-term policy in Argentina. But there, there are two things in favor of Vaca Muerta, very strong things. One is, of course, the, the geology. If you, again, look at in relative terms, where, which other place in the world is going to be able to 
uh, use all the, the know-how and learning that the U.S. shale producers got to, to increase uh, you know, production elsewhere. And, and in that, you know, if you look at through that lens, Argentina is, is, is an unbelievably uh, attractive place from the perspective of the below-ground risks. Of course, uh, and the other thing is that in a country with uh, problematic property rights and political issues, the nature of shale being a short cycle, low sunk cost uh, investment compared to, say, the pre-salt, in order for companies to make investments like the ones in deep waters, you really need very strong institutions and, and credibility of, of long-term policy like Brazil has been able to obtain. In Argentina, uh, those conditions are not there, but companies can move in a, a gradual investments that are sort of modular, uh, and that will allow for the growth that is already happening and will continue to happen. The big question, of course, as you suggest is the infrastructure to export LNG. And that, I think, is more problematic. I think, you know, seeing the big investments in LNG and pipelines that are needed for the Baca Muerta to really become a a powerful player in the the world stage, I think it's going to be hard. It depends a lot on how long the, the price signal remains in place. But you can see even with the Minister Massa, who is trying to really uh, attract investment in the sector, how difficult it is given the macro mess in which Argentina gets uh, uh, again and again and and makes it you know really hard to have long term horizons for investment in Argentina. Hmm. Hmm. Well, let's let's zoom out a little bit. In the United States last year, the Inflation Reduction Act was was passed, and and you know that perhaps was the biggest event in the in the energy world of the United States. How do you see that impacting sort of the energy lands, landscape in Latin America? Do you see any countries following suit, or is it sort of more business as usual in Latin America? I mean, Latin America, there are uh, countries that have sort of set very ambitious goals in terms of uh, energy uh, transition and, and renewables. The, the issue, of course, there, I think there are two sets of issues. One is these countries are coming out of a very tough economic period, and they most of them are, are not even grow, having great growth prospects in the next few years, and their fiscal positions are not in great shape. So that makes it really hard to get the kinds of investments from the public sector that are really needed for this type of, uh, of policy. On the private sector side, aside of the incentives, because there are plenty of potential opportunities that do not require you know, subsidies from, from the government that could be done, but, that, but it does require a lot of good institutions and regulations, you know, in order to, uh, for example, create uh, carbon uh, offset markets or to have credibility. Because think about this, Latin America has a relatively bad record in terms of being able to set long-term tariffs for electricity at a rate that really uh, allows investors to recover the investment through long-term periods. And that's why, you know, you still have a lot of generation in the hands of state-owned enterprises because of not only the, the, the sometimes ideological sort of uh, perspective, but also because of this difficulty in creating uh, credible conditions for private investment in the electricity side. And I think that's going to be a very 
significant problem for this type of investments in, in, in the region. But again, the, the countries are very heterogeneous. Some are much better in, in doing this kind of thing than, than others. But even the ones like, you know, Colombia's uh, with Petro that will give a big priority to the energy transition uh, have other features, of course, in terms of ideology and respect of property rights that are problematic. So I do expect some advances in the region, some misguided, some well, you know, that, that will uh, be fruitful, but nothing, of course, of, of the size and relevance that you will see elsewhere. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, final question. I, I'd like to re- re- return to your or, or go to your your, your home country briefly. The, the you know the Guaido experiment failed in 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 Venezuela. What do you see happening in in Venezuela's energy sector? I know we spoke last year, and you mentioned that you thought production could perhaps get up to a million barrels, perhaps a little bit more. Do you see any great changes upcoming for Venezuela in twenty twenty three? I think change. I mean, the the environment is clearly changing because of political reasons. You know, the what happened in the in the energy markets in the world and and in the invasion of Ukraine really made countries in uh, I mean the U.S., Canada, and the European countries became much more pragmatic about how to deal with uh, with Nicolas Maduro. Of course, also the failure of the previous policy, plus the dramatic change in the map of Latin America in terms of the leftist uh, move in the in the region. All these conditions created a much better uh, sort of negotiation position for Nicolás Maduro. Having said that, I think the, the U.S. is following a, a clearly a gradual approach of putting you know, you know, carrots in line for Maduro to make some of the changes that the international community, particularly the U.S., wants him to make. And some of those are hard to swallow for, for Maduro. I don't think he's not interested in doing anything that will put at risk his power. Uh, but we, we can see a progression of more flexibilization of, of sanctions that will allow other companies, not only Chevron, to invest in Venezuela. And those include, you know, ENI and Repsol, perhaps Shell on, on natural gas exports through Trinidad to LNG, Atlantic LNG in Trinidad. We might see another uh, other smaller players and of course, another big question is, will the U.S. continue to enforce secondary sanctions that has, have prevented, for example, CNBC or the uh, Indian refiners like Reliance from buying oil from Venezuela? So those questions remain, and it's a very fragile equilibrium because Maduro, as I said, has not, doesn't have any uh, like real intention to uh, democratize the country. But of course, he is interested in the U.S. market, and, and he will continue to pursue this uh, closer relationship with the U.S. as long as it doesn't, you know, create the challenges for his power. And I think he, he believes he can, he can do it, but it will not be immediate. And as you pointed out, I continue to think that that production might increase to a million barrels in, in a, in a, in, within the next two years if everything goes well, but it will not be a spectacular increase in production. And of course, nothing compared to the potential that Venezuela really has. Yeah. Well, a lot to look out for in 2023. Francisco Minaldi, thank you so much. Really appreciate your views as always. Thank you, Chris. Understanding the energy, regulatory, and political landscape is imperative to achieving success in the Mexican natural gas market. A daily information service that is trusted by active market participants on both sides of the border NGI's Mexico Gas Price Index provides on the ground and independent news and insight 
as well as market-informed natural gas pricing and flow data. Visit natgasintel.com backslash Mexico dash GPI to find out more about NGI's Mexico services and how they can better inform your strategy today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub and Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.